you know, in all honesty, the proper way to depreciate your property is to say, well, like you said, the fridge, the carpeting, the cabinets, all the stuff in the building that is not structural depreciates on a five-year schedule. And I can take the value of those as a tax write-off much faster. So if I'm allowed to do that, why wouldn't I? And so you, you made a great point in saying at a certain point, you know, small fix and flips, small residential, you know, single families, it probably doesn't make sense because the cost of getting it done is probably going to be, you know, equal or somewhere to how much tax deductions I'm even going to get. But the bigger the property is, the more tax deductions you'll get. So it obviously makes more sense because the fee, the, the price to get the study done is not contingent on the tax savings, which is a really important point. Um, so really, the more you scale up, the more deductions you'll have. So it's probably the biggest tax strategy out there for people in the real estate business to actually make money and make that money tax-free. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, the pleasure of speaking with Yona Weiss. Uh, Yona is the powerhouse of property owner tax savings. He's a business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader that has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars in tax through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and he has a passion for real estate and helping others. He's a real estate investor and the host of the top rated podcast called Weiss Advice. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with us. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Yona. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? G'day, Reed. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be joining you today. How are you doing? Good, my friend. And for those people who can't see, Yona has an awesome background of my hometown, Brisbane. And the only reason I could I could identify the background was actually through the Gateway Bridge. It was actually the low, the bottom half of the screen on the water. That's the, oh, the Gateway Bridge, but the Gateway 
you know, the, 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 the highway just there that's on actually on stilts. But, um, mate, uh, enough out of me. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank God. Uh, very blessed to be living the life in Brisbane. No, actually um, <laughs> located right now in Jerusalem and I'm loving it, you know, just awesome. enjoying everything. Well, mate, I want to dive all into your 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 background and story. And the, the beauty of this show is that well, it's what we do. So I try and tease out exactly how you've created something from nothing. So my first question for you, my friend, is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. You know, I first ever dollar I made as a kid was probably um, doing a little lawn mowing, right? And it was just kind of family chores, but something I really didn't like doing and uh, mowing the lawn actually made a made a dollar or two i think when i was about you know seven or eight years old so that was nice it it, it seems to be the classic you know boy upbringing in in america or in (laughs) australia wherever it is like get get on the tools and uh go and cut some grass (laughs) particularly (laughs) for the neighbors (laughs) exactly you know it's the it's the ultimate uh of outsourcing right (laughs) your parents are like (laughs) here's activity i don't want to do let's hand it it off to someone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Here's a lawnmower. Push it around for the next two hours. Work yourself out, and then you'll knock out and go to sleep. So it's a it's a it's a win win for all parents across uh, across the globe. Um, but mate, walk us through your story and your journey, how you've got into where you are today. And I know we're talking a little bit offline about how you've relocated to Jerusalem because originally you grew up in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, that's right. Grew up in LA. Went to college in San Diego. Um, had a, a love for Israel being an Orthodox Jew and had never been and actually took a trip when I was 20 years old and uh, basically never left. I mean, I, I went back, you know, multiple times and uh, actually went to finish a year of college in San Diego. But ultimately, I found uh, my passion, which was really, you know, studying and teaching and spent the better half of about 15 years in Jerusalem, you know, teaching and, and just living a, a very deeply spiritual life, um, really removed from anything uh, business or, or any of the sort. So it was only until about five, six years ago that I got involved in real estate. It was kind of on a whim, just looking for some additional income, some additional sources of uh, you know, revenue, building, you know, have a big family at this point, thank God, and was just looking for, for something more. So that's when I reached out to some friends found out, you know, they were doing real estate, various different roles, brokers, commercial mortgages, fix and flips. I had a lot of friends in the States and in Israel that were doing, you know, involved in real estate in multiple capacities. And I just was like, okay, this sounds like a great industry. People are making a lot of money doing this. Doesn't require any additional formal education, uh, which I wasn't interested in doing. So I was like, okay, let's, let's just learn. And I kind of got my feet wet in multiple different areas. And, you know, long story short, uh, um, you know, here we are later being involved in, uh, in the real estate industry has just been an incredible blessing. That's awesome. And, and talk to me a little bit about the evolution from spirituality teacher into real estate investor, because sometimes that can be a little bit at, at, at loggerheads with one another. What, you know, the sort of the, 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 the little devil on your shoulder, you know, you want to go make money, you got to keep roof, your roof over your head, but you also have a passion for helping others and right. spreading the word of, of Judaism uh, in and around, you know, in, in Jerusalem where you're based today. Absolutely. It's, it is a balance and it is a delicate balance, but I think once a person comes to, and I'm a very spiritual person, very involved with, you know, live a godly life, but I think there is nothing that we do in life that cannot involve spirituality. So even the most seemingly mundane activities 
if they're done with the right intention and they're done with the right mindset. And this is what people talk about all, you know, self-help and, and growth oriented people are talking about the right mindset all the time. Well, if you just realize that, you know, you're, you're in this world for a purpose and everything that you do, every interaction that you have is uh, there, there's purpose to that. And so it's not really a conflict when you approach business with that uh, mindset as well. We are, you know, entrusted with honesty, integrity in all our business dealings. And that's something that you can't really do if you're not involved in a, in a business of all kinds. And it's really um, something that I, I take very seriously and think about, you know, I spend hours every day uh, studying and, and praying. And that to me is like, you know, the same kind of line that people talk about, well, you got to start your day off right in morning routine and all these kind of things, because everyone understands that if you want to live an ultimately happy life, you have to focus on those things that bring you the most joy. A hundred percent. And I've, from a personal point of view, I know being an entrepreneur and, and, and just grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. It's always about this, uh, this, this, this movement towards being more. And, and I saw a really great meme the other day and I, I don't follow a lot of memes, but you know, there was a, it was a pie chart and there was a, a pie chart up the top and it said what I originally thought success looked like. And it was a pie chart of 100% hard work. What actually success looks like sleep, exercise, meditation, some hard work, you know, but also being more of a balanced. And that was just so what you're saying about how you have to be balanced across your spirituality, your business, um, you're being self-aware, having a right mindset. It all comes together to be a good entrepreneur, to be a good business leader, to be a good person. Right. And it starts with basic stuff that, you you know, you take for granted, you know, don't take it for granted, like your family, like the mm. fact that you get to breathe and walk on this earth and enjoy the sunshine, you know, like that sort right. of stuff. And, and that self-awareness is so important. And then applying that to what your, your business, it comes through and thus people want to do business with you because they re resonate with what you, you stand for, right? right? Who and that's you are. exactly that, exactly in who you are. Exactly, I love I love that. Um, so so in and around that, how we're going to talk about cost segregation because that's what you you're an expert <laughs> in. So so where where's, where does cost segregation fit into the whole pie? Uh, if we were talking about a pie chart earlier, yeah, sure. It was um, you know at a certain point that I was involved in, in real estate doing various different things, and but having my background being in teaching, that's really my passion lies and that's what I'm good at. Okay. Those are the, the best, one of the best skills that I have is the ability to learn something of, you know, pretty complex uh, concepts and then teach them and be able to give them over in a very simplified way. So anyone can understand. And I was kind of searching for something within real estate. I did some fix and flips. I was brokering. I was doing a lot of things, trying to invest, trying to find deals. And uh, a position at this company that I currently work for, Madison Commercial Real Estate Services, and specifically the Madison Specs Division, which is the biggest national conservation company, they were looking for someone in business development. And I was like, okay, let's see if, if this can work. I learned about conservation. I knew a little bit about it, but I learned more deeply and got to spend, uh, you know, a lot of time with the CPAs, the engineers who've been doing this for decades, really the experts. And I just took, borrowed from their expertise, really, and started, you know, getting on podcasts like this and starting just to, to get the word out. And I found something very fascinating because as soon as I got involved in this company, I went out and started asking every single person that I knew in the real estate world, whether they were brokers, whether they owners, developers. And I just asked them, what do you think about cost segregation? I started working for this company and I got two 
um, completely polar opposite answers. And those are the only two answers that I got. There was nothing in between. And one side of it was cost segregation is awesome. I use it on every single property. It's a no brainer, saved me so much money. Absolutely been doing it for years. The second answer was, I have no idea what, it, what that is. <laughs> so I saw this huge gap and, and, you know, the majority of the answers were, I have no idea what this is. So I'm talking to real estate investors, talking to brokers, talking to people who are in the industry for years, no idea what it is. I saw this huge gap, knowledge gap. And I started to realize, well, this is a great opportunity, right? Anytime when you have a, a, a real big lack or a gap, there's opportunity lies. So I'm like, I can take my skills and just apply them and be able to start teaching people, get them uh, to help them really. And it's helping people save taxes. So it's really everything that I love all combined in one. Right. Well, and for those people out there who may not know what cost segregation is, do you want to just quickly give a high level 30 second pitch of what it is? Absolutely. It's really a real estate tax deduction. So it's an advanced form of depreciation and, and depreciation is a tax income tax deduction that you get when you buy a piece of property besides for your personal residence. So if you invest in real estate, you get this tax deduction called depreciation. Cost segregation is just breaking down that depreciation into different categories that allows you to take bigger tax deductions in the earlier years of ownership. That's, that's, that's beautifully said. And then for those people who, I'm going to add a little bit more to that, there's two types of depreciation from the IRS point of view, right? There is the standard straight line, I think it's 27 and a half years for a resi that's and correct. 35 years for commercial. Is that, was, is that correct? Is that right? 39 years for commercial. 39 years. You're correct. 39 yeah, 27 years. and a half. Yeah, and, and and really, I know because I use it on all my deals. It's, it's just you buy a deal, we close, we go, we do it. Then we come back a year later and see all what the improvements are. And we'll get into that and how I do it in my, in my business. But talk to me about the 39 years because I know that a lot of, at least when I first got started here in the United States, when I was in resi and fixing and flipping, cost segregation didn't make a lot of sense because it just wasn't, it cost you a couple of thousand bucks to get these engineers out and it just like, ah, stuff it, I'm going to use a 27 and a half year number and I'll, I'll depreciate it over 27 and a half years. Right. But let's, now you've got a bigger multifamily or office tower or something that is worth a lot more, you can go and break up the parts that, because mm -hmm. nothing, nothing, things depreciate over a period of time. And, and right. for those listeners out there, if I have a fridge, Fridge may not last me 27 years, right? right? I have a carpet. It may not last me 27 years. The building may last. The structure of the building, the concrete, the the rebar, the roof, you know, maybe not the roof, but you know, you know, the siding. It's it's, it's going to stand up for 27 years, but or 39 years in a commercial um, world. But the, what, let's talk about the parts of it because that's where I think the, the the nuts and bolts come down, and where people can really understand it is it accelerating those little bits and pieces within the building that help you accelerate that depreciation, and thus investors can benefit quicker from it. Yeah. So let's break it down a, a little more simply. So um, when you, and depreciation, by the way, it sounds like a negative thing, right? It sounds like your building is <laughs> actually going down in value, but it's really just a borrowed term. And I want to make this really clear. It's a borrowed term in the sense that you're building, your property is probably going up in value, right? It's appreciating, but the IRS gives you a tax deduction that they call depreciation based on the concept that things go down in value. And it's true that certain components will actually, you know, be replaced over a certain period of time. And that's really why they get shorter lives. And you can take the value of those over a shorter period of time. But basically what we're doing is we're breaking down the building. It used to be called component depreciation. So cost segregation is, is a, a relatively new term uh, within the last uh, 15 years or so. And what happened was, 
Um, the IRS says, yes, the whole property, you lump it together and you take a tax deduction divided by 27 and a half years. So a little bit every single year or commercial 39 years and you get that amount. That's lumping it, what you, like you called straight line depreciation, lumping it all together, which is going to get you about a two to 3% on average uh, deduction of the cost of your property every single year. Okay, so you buy a million dollar property, you're getting between 20 and $30,000 of tax write-off, okay? Reducing your tax liability every single year. However, if you just have for, a, Just for owning that building. Just for owning right. the building, that's right. That's, yep. that's part of the, the tax incentive of you know, investing in real estate is the IRS gives you this depreciation uh, deduction, this write-off. However, if you have more of a tax liability, if you're making more money, so you want to be able to find ways or strategies to be able to reduce your taxable liability. And that's where conservation comes in because it actually allows you to, well, in, you know, in all honesty, the proper way to depreciate your property is to say, well, like you said, the fridge, the carpeting, the cabinets, all the stuff in the building that is not structural depreciates on a five-year schedule. And I can take the value of those as a tax write-off much faster. So if I'm allowed to do that, why wouldn't I? And so you, you made a great point in saying at a certain point, you know, small fix and flips, small residential, you know, single families, it probably doesn't make sense because the cost of getting it done is probably going to be, you know, equal or somewhere to how much tax deductions I'm even going to get. But the bigger the property is, the more tax deductions you'll get. So it obviously makes more sense because the fee, the, the price to get the study done is not contingent on the tax savings, which is a really important point. Um, right. So really, the more you scale up, the more deductions you'll have. So it's probably the biggest tax strategy out there for people in the real estate business to actually make money and make that money tax-free. And, and that's part of why we invest in hard assets, right? Like you can go Absolutely. invest in, in, in paper assets, but you don't get that depreciation. You 100%. can get you can get appreciation, you can get cash flow from your stock, but it will never actually... You cannot you can't depreciate anything against, and thus depreciation helps you write off any of the gains that you have throughout a hold. So, for example, you get you have a hundred thousand dollars invested in a deal, you get ten thousand dollars in dividends or cash flow from the year. Your depreciation will be able to be used against that ten thousand dollars, and hopefully, the depreciation equals what you get. So, you don't actually have to pay taxes on that ten Gs. If, if I summed exactly. that up, correct? I, exactly, yep. and there, exactly like you said, and there's pretty much no other investment vehicle that I know of, uh, aside from maybe oil and gas. But you know, not taking that aside, that can get you the returns and be able to be tax-free money, which right. is you know, for even a passive investor, is incredible. Yep. And so talk to me about the, if I had a $2 million fix and flip, would that make sense to go and do a cost seg on that? So depreciation, and I'll just use cost segregation depreciation interchangeably, because like I said, mm-hmm. it's it's not something different. It's just more advanced form, um, sure. is, is something that is only a deduction for rental property. Okay. It's mm-hmm. rental property. There and so good, if you have a fix idea. and flip that is transactional, meaning you're not actually renting it out, then you can't do that. However, if you do like, for example, the burr strategy, right? <laughs> right? You buy, right? What up? What up, bigger pockets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy, renovate, uh, refinance, uh, repeat, whatever it is. Okay. When yep. you're doing that and you're actually holding it as a rental property, I forgot rent in there, you're renting it out then you get the depreciation deduction because you place it in service. Even if you go ahead and sell it, maybe a year later, you can take depreciation. It might be advantageous, but here's something that um, just to kind of couple with that. I know many people who are involved in fix and flips and they also have other rental properties 
um, as well. And pr- part of the reason why they're doing this is because fix and flips is transactional. Transactional income is taxed at the highest possible rate. And you don't get the depreciation deduction to offset that. But if you have rental properties as well, you can get the depreciation. And if you're a full-time real estate investor, real estate professional, you can use the deductions from your rental properties, the cost segregation to offset the income from your fix and flips or your wholesaling or other activities or brokering activities. So there, there's a way to kind of combine that to actually maximize uh, the deductions. Love it. No, I think that's, that's, that's super important. And, and I guess my next question for you is, you know, cost segregation like debt, like accounting, it's a, it's a service-based business, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's a commodity. You can go and choose a plethora of different companies out there. So what makes your company, and, you know, we were talking about earlier about who you are and your spirituality. Sure. How does that resonate with what you do? To, so do I know that Eyes Reed Goosen's bringing my, my portfolio of Wildhorn Capital over to you to say, what, what makes you better than who I'm currently using today? Well, obviously, it's the beard. I mean, <laughs> it's the good looks in the beard, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> but no, but honestly, it, so we're, like I said, the largest national conservation doing this. I mean, the experience that uh, we have, I mean, Madison Specs has been around for 16 years, for example. But I mean, I think the most important, I'm not going to you know, talk up our company because I think sure. there are many um, companies like ours that are exist in the country that are you know, comparable. And what you're going to look for are really a few things. Number one, you're going to look for someone that has the experience, right? They have, you know, they've stood up to audits, for example, right? They're going to stand behind their work in the event of an audit, because again, it's tax related work. You want to make sure that everything is compliant. Um, second thing is, I would say that they are entrepreneurial. I mean, if you, business people in general are, but you'll have a lot of accounting firms, for example, that include cost segregation as part of their service. So we're not an accounting firm. We specialize in this and that's all we do. And, and therefore we you know, business entrepreneur growing like that have the very similar mindset, very relatable to a lot of real estate investors who are doing the same thing. So there's, there's that kind of alignment of purpose uh, like I like to look at it. And like any service or commodity, as you know, it's really about, you know, who you know. It's about the mm-hmm. trust factor. It's about, you know, are they giving me the best, uh, the time that I'm looking for? And and it all comes back to the beard. I mean, that's really the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but for those people who've never done cost segregation, they're going to go out and buy their first 50-unit property or 20-unit or property, somewhere where it, it makes sense. Right. Um, what are you sort of looking at from a cost perspective perspective and does it cost the same on a 20 unit as it does a 300 unit um and, and maybe you can walk people through that because Absolutely. that's also a big factor when you're, you're comparing different cost segregation companies is the price right sure absolutely if you're you know like anything if you're looking at it from a commodity perspective absolutely 100 percent it is a cost is one of the big factors there and i totally get that totally understand that the the cost as i mentioned is non not contingent to tax savings which there are, as I've heard, some companies that actually do that, which is a little bit um, fishy in terms of uh, tax compliance, because mm. you're basically someone, a third party is supposedly a third party is telling the IRS, you should get X amount of deductions and we'll take a piece of that. Mm. Eh. So they have- You, a, you should open you, yourself up to saying, oh, a, do I need a haircut, Baba? And like, yeah, he's, he's a good haircut. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. You have a conflict of interest there. Um, yeah. But as a third, a true third party, we're at being the biggest in the country, we are able to cut our expenses, you know, 
by a lot. So we're probably the most competitive out there in terms of pricing. Typically for multifamily properties, somewhere between four to $6,000 as a, you know, as of now, uh, when you're listening to this in 2021, that's kind of our, our fee structure. And it does depend a little bit on the size of the property, the um, number of units, if it's uh, you know garden style, how many buildings there are, how many different unit layout types there are, et cetera. So there are some of those factors, but very different. So if you buy a million dollar property, versus a $10 million property, you know, 20 units versus, uh, you know, 300 units, the fee is pretty much going to be the same, um, you know, Mm. give or take. Uh, So therefore it starts to, you know, makes exponentially more sense, the larger the property. Yep. No, that, that, that's that's a very good very good pricing, by the way. I, don't, I know we don't get that <laughs> on our pricing, so I need to, I need to come over and get a quote. There you um, go. Yeah. Look, but 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 what what do you expect back as an owner? Like, I know there's reports that come back, and I I as an owner to to this day, I let my CPA deal with it, but I mm-hmm. have a, a third party CPA, I have a third party cost segregation company, and I make sure that two those two are chatting. But what should I be looking for in the resulting report? as an owner to make sure that they're doing what they say they're going to do? Well, I think part of the process, and, and we do this, and I believe every, every company that's out there that is, uh, you know, a reputable company gives an upfront kind of analysis of uh, projections mm-hmm. of what you can expect ahead of time. So you, it's really transparent in, in that we're going to tell you what your minimal tax deduction, what your minimal tax benefit is going to be even before we start the process, right? For free. We'll tell you that. So, what can you expect? I mean, I think it should tie back into that, right? You'll have your expectations from that kind of free consultation uh, ahead of time. But in terms of, you know, actual numbers, it depends. I'd say, practically speaking, for multifamily properties, you're looking at about, you know, average 25%, uh, you know, anywhere between 20 to 30% of, and sometimes more, of reallocation. So to put that into numbers and so it makes sense, if you buy a million dollar property, you can look to about 200 to $250,000 of that to take as accelerated depreciation. Okay. And with, with the new law called bonus depreciation, you can actually take that all in the first year as a tax write-off. Mm. Interesting. No, and that's, and that's, that was very well said. I think it's good to understand what you're expecting to write off and in and, and around the 25%. But, um, and so that's what you would advise when you're looking at a report to say, okay, my value of my property is worth X. So thus I should be thinking around the 20 to 30% of a depreciation should be written into the report. And then I guess, how do you know, make sure you're not, they're not fraudulent to your point, like of, of those people who are like, oh, we're just, we're doing a fee for uh, how much tax we save you. You know, they're going to be pushing the upper echelon of it. So mate, how do I as the owner make sure I'm not been hoodwinked? If, if you can even tell by a report. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, that's a great question. It's, it's very difficult from uh, you know, a layman's perspective to, mm. to kind of understand the, the ins and outs of it. I would you know, hope that there's enough trust there that the people that are doing it have the experience and are doing it correctly and accurately and all according to the tax, you know, the tax code, the audit guide, which is put out by the IRS. And so there are a lot of principles. It's not like you can really kind of make it up. You have to follow the principles that are there. So it's not like there's going to be too much discrepancy between one company and another other if they're all doing it right. Um, right. There may be some that are more aggressive or maybe use certain different types of methodologies, but uh, all is said and done, there, there's probably not much to discrepancy there. And I think that back to what I said before, it's about your team. 
I get sure. mine from 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 a cost segregation group. I then make sure my CPA is reviewing it right. because that's what I pay him for, <laughs> and he's making sure that it's all staying on, on, on the train lines and not not veering off. Uh, and then thus we move forward and make sure that all our investors, uh, you know, participate in that depreciation in you know the first couple of years. Um, so so you know, I guess the the big question here is is what do you got planned in twenty twenty one? And I, another question before we get into twenty twenty one. Do you have businesses outside the United States? Because we're talking about very, and I know where this show is all about U.S. investing. It's the IRS, sure. but you're in Jerusalem, so like you're, you're you're in Israel. Like, what do they have bonus depreciation and cost segregation in Israel? Uh, they don't. I, I don't think they're as far as I know, and I'm not a tax expert. Um, you know, outside of the United States, the U.S. Yep. But uh, and and as I said, I work remotely, so I kind of get the best of both worlds. I, I live where I love to live, and I get to work where I love to work. And uh, you know, the company is totally you know fully based in the U.S. Uh, there is really something very interesting in terms of depreciation outside of the U.S. Is that in terms of other countries' tax laws, I'm not aware that it exists. There are certain things like depreciation in general, but accelerated depreciation, as far as I know, does not exist anywhere else. One thing that does exist is if you are a U.S. taxpayer, you are an owner, uh, and you, you know, pay taxes, and you own a commercial property outside of the U.S., you can actually take depreciation on that, and you can use cost segregation on your commercial property that is located outside of the U.S. for your U.S. taxes. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. I will say, look at the tax treaty because the US has a tax treaty with, with other countries. And I know that from a layman's term, and this is not necessarily with cost segregation, but I pay tax. If I'm in a US citizen who lives, because I just know from my, my wife, if she lives in Australia, she has to report to the United States and then there's a treaty. So she will get a credit on the Australian tax that she has to pay, right. what's called the Australian tax office, if she happened to live in Australia and be paying taxes. So it sort of goes all the way around. It, it, it comes full circle. But that's very, very interesting. It's very similar to 1031 exchanges. If you're a US-based citizen, but you have a 10 that you own international real estate, you can 1031 into other international real estate Correct. if you're US-based. So it's right. it's it's very there's a lot of different labels out there. Just just know that people who 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 are investing outside the United States who might be U.S. citizens. Um, now you know coming into what are we doing in 2021? What, what's what's the world looking like for you post COVID? If we can even say that word now, I don't know if we can even say that word yet. I think it was still in COVID, but hopefully coming towards some sort of tail end with the vaccine being rolled out and all that sort of stuff. You know, um, for me personally, I I'm really focused on investing in the US. So that's, uh, that's really my goal um, for for 2021 is to be more involved on the general partnership side of some real estate multifamily specifically deals. Mm -hmm. uh, I did have uh, a very small role in a deal back in the last fall of 2020. And that was kind of my getting my feet wet for the first time in larger multifamily deals. So that's really where I'm moving and, and heading in, in the direction kind of on the side for now but uh, hopefully transitioning more into that world uh, in the future. Well, I love it. I love those ambitions. You got to start somewhere, right, mate? You got to get, you, you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. And that exactly. can, in, in any shape or form that that does. Tell me a little bit before we get into the top five investing tips, you also have a podcast. What is that all about? And how are you providing incredible information back to your purpose in life of the teaching? How sure. is that being a real good element or, or tool that you've used into spreading the word? So I love these conversations, right? And, and I've been actually, what prompted me to start the podcast in the first place, Weiss Advice, is I had been a guest on about 100, 150 podcasts or so 
And I love the interactions. I really do. I love this medium. I love social media and, you know, the ability to take this and, you know, kind of share the message at large with, uh, you know, multiple people. All at once kind of scaling those relationships. To me, that was fascinating from the guest side of things. And when I decided to make a podcast um, as a host, I was looking to see, well, I love real estate. I want to be involved in real estate, but I don't want it to be like all the other hundreds of podcasts that people are starting every other week. Um, I want to do something a little bit unique. And so I took, obviously the, the name was kind of catchy, right? Weiss Advice. And the concept is really to interview people who are in the real estate industry, but not necessarily to talk subject matter. Maybe just to have a conversation more about who they are and what they're doing and their stories and things like that. So it's really more um, personal get to know people, kind of more like a talk show than a real estate course that like a lot of podcasts are. Oh, I love it. And that's part of what this podcast has morphed into after being going over, we come up to 250 episodes five years ago. And there's only so much real estate you can talk about. Right. And it really gets into more the the personal, you know, journeys and the struggles because everyone has a journey and it's, it's great to li- listen to this medium and hear others who have been on that journey with right. you because entrepreneurship can be so lonely at times. And that's the, the best part about podcasting. And that's why I also love this medium, getting to know people who live halfway across the world in Jerusalem, uh, being on this on this show yeah. well mate we are coming to the end of the show and at the end of every show we'd like to do the top five investing tips you ready to get into it sure let's go mate what is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals the i think the biggest habit that i have that keeps me in, in line with my goals goes back to the spiritual things so it's it's really focusing some people call it meditation but uh, it's really praying kind of focusing the energy because that really um, dictates how your whole day is going to be. So starting off the day with the right mindset, that's what it's all about. I love it. You know, I've started meditating the last couple of years and I, if I don't do it of a morning, I just, my, my day's off, you know, I'm not, not in alignment with, uh, with myself and it just, I, I, I be a little bit grouchy. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, question number two, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, there are so many on different levels. But I would say because of the uh, large effect or influence that I've had with social media and how I've been able to kind of brand myself and, and do that, I think Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk had a mm-hmm. very influential, not that he knows that, but not that he knows that for millions of people, had a really great uh, effect and just kind of the approach of how to, how to approach uh, you know, business and, and sales and social media in general. Love it. No, Gary V is, I would love to get him on the show. I think you've got to pay to get pay to play with him, yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but I'd love to maybe one day get him on the show, but he's a yeah, very influential person and, and such breaks it down in a way uh, that you know, people might say he's crass, but I think he just shoots it, shoots it like it is. And he, he is what he is and he's authentic and you're either attracted to it or not. So it goes back to your, your purpose and, and being true to yourself. So I mm-hmm. think that's really important. Um, what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool, like a, a journal or, or a phone, or there might be a piece of software that you just can't run your business without. And I'm sure being in Jerusalem, I'm sure I can already d- <laughs> determine which one's it's going to be. <laughs> you know, I was going to say Zoom, but I think that's pretty much what everyone is going to say nowadays because that, it has been. But I'll, I'll actually say um, Calendly, that's mm-hmm. uh, you know a calendar tool that a lot of people use. I use it for multiple things, and literally, I have my calendar filled up uh, every day without my knowledge. Right, and it's just like yep. booking appointments, and I already have you know everything's working kind of streamlined that way. So that's been saved me 
countless, countless hours of work um, in the last couple of years I've been using it. So yeah, yeah. I'm a hu- huge fan of Calendly. There's a few little functionality things with the podcast that I'd like to change, but um, yeah, I, I love Calendly and its ability to streamline that, that conversation. Um, question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your life and what'd you learn from that failure? Hmm. I don't like to view things as failures. Um, I can't really see failures. Maybe a lesson. Yeah. Lessons are really, you know, kind of uh, like Rod Khalif always says, like they're seminars, right? They're teaching Mm -hmm. you uh, things like that. Um, I would say I actually had a a big failure. Okay. Now we're remembering something that I had a a development (laughs) deal that uh, we were about to close on. And it was kind of my ego that got in the way of thinking that this was going to be a great deal. And even though the attorney, one of the attorneys had major concerns about certain issues, my ego kind of got in the way and and was trying to push the deal through until the last minute, until we literally pulled out at the last minute. And thank God we did because that attorney, as we saw in hindsight, was 100% correct. Wow. that That was a big failure that, you know, that I learned from, you know, don't, trust your ego, trust uh, someone who's more objective. Yeah. Ego can cause so many issues. <laughs> can co- have you ever read the book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday? I have not, but I've, I've seen it quoted many times. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, it's a good little book uh, on, on in and around ego and how much it can just ruin business relationships, even personal relationships. So it can be quite toxic if you don't check it at the door, which comes back to your meditation and self-awareness, which we could spend a whole podcast talking about, uh, about that exact thing, that, that exact thing. Um, question number five. And last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Best place to find me is LinkedIn. I'm actually very active on that platform. Check it actually more often than email and respond there. Or you can go to yonawice.com. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I want to just quickly summarize what you have given the audience today. And I think the, the, the breaking down cost segregation as much as you don't necessarily need to be an expert in it, you do need to understand the functionality of it, of accelerated appreciation over a long period of time. It probably only does make sense the larger the assets you're doing. And it was interesting to hear about the transactional piece, which I didn't actually didn't wasn't quite aware of, that if you're doing a two, $3 million fix and flip, you're being transactional, thus you can't qualify for cost segregation. So really awesome stuff, loved your pricing. Um, and then come back to trust and transparency because it is a service-based business. You have to know the people you're getting in, you know, doing business with are going to keep your best interest at heart and not have, you know, do something fraudulent with the IRS that could get you into a lot of trouble. Right. Uh, did I leave anything out? Um, the good looking beard, I guess that's <laughs> the good looking it. beard. That's exactly right. <laughs> the good looking beard. I forgot all about the good looking beard. Yeah. It's, 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 how long is it now? It looks like it's a pretty good long. Foot long. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> can't see it's it. Do you <laughs> use any, uh, any conditioner or like to keep it soft? Uh, yeah, you know, it just keeps it pretty, pretty natural, but, uh, you know, every now and then the wife doesn't say, yeah, you need to wash that. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I'm, I don't mean all natural that I'm not washing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Well, look, buddy, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will catch up very, very soon. 
Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Yona Weiss. If you want to know anything about him, go over to LinkedIn and search his name, Y-O-N-A-H-W-E-I-S-S on LinkedIn. It's also yonawise.com. Uh, he's got a lot of awesome stuff going on in the cost segregation world. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to, you know, incredible to learn more about what we have to give here on this show. We're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Hold up. 